Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we're even able to even meet here in a, in a church building. I realize that there's millions of people around the world right now that are uh, meeting in secret and meeting, uh, facing persecution. Lord, I thank you that we live in a country where we can come before you and, and, and worship freely. I thank you for this church building. God, I pray that as I speak over these next few minutes, God, that it wouldn't be my words, but it would be yours. And Father, I pray that we leave this room changed, not because of what I said, but because of what you've done. Father, we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me give you a little background. We're going to open up to, if if you get a chance, uh, we're going to open up your pew Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. It's on page 330. 1 Samuel chapter 1. It's on page 330. And as as you're getting there, let me give you a little background to the story that we're going to look at today. 1 Samuel chapter 1, it's on page 330. This story takes place in Israel, and this is actually a low point in Israel's history. It was still being ruled by judges at, the, at this time, but unfortunately there's a lot of corruption. There's corruption in the priesthood, there was, there was this uh, obsession with, with idolatry. People were worshiping basically anything but the true God. And, and so this is actually, the, this, the time that this story takes place is actually a low point in in Israel's history. Uh, it was probably towards the end of Samson's life. Most of you are familiar with the, the story of Samson. But just to kind of give you a time frame of where the story has taken place, that, that's the time frame. And now there's, there's several different people that we're going to talk about. I, I need a little uh, congregation participation here. Because so, sometimes when, when I see some of these bigger names or these unusual names, I just kind of gloss over them. So I'm going to say them, and you say them back to me. I promise you won't get hurt. It's, it's okay. Right? Here we go. Elkanah. Okay, Elkanah, that was good, that was good. Elkanah, that's the weirdest one. Elkanah is the father in this story. Uh, he's he's going to be the, the, the husband, the father. And Elkanah has a few uh, issues, and we'll touch on those in a minute. He has several wives. We'll get to that in a minute. The next name is Penina. Uh, that's good, good. Penina is his, one of his wives, and Penina has several children. The problem with Penina is... is um, she tends to be very proud of her children, but also mocking those who don't have children. So she's, she's somewhat mean, well not somewhat, she's very mean-spirited. And the last name, I saved the easiest for last, Hannah. Hannah, there you go, you got that. All right, so Hannah's who our story's about. Hannah is the other of Elkanah's wife. Did I say that right? Yeah, Elkanah's other wife is Hannah. And, and Hannah is unable to bear children. She, she's not having any children. Now, before we gloss over that little detail and you go, wait, hold up, why does this guy have several wives? Uh, let me explain. Back then, it was considered a status symbol. The more wives and the more children you had at that time, the, more, um, sta- the higher status you were considered. They were also, they used their children for labor. Kind of interesting, right? Uh, and so they thought, hey, the more kids I have, the more, the more help I have around, around here. And, and so this was one of the reasons. Now, let me make sure you hear this. God has never and will never endorse or promote polygamy. There, there's many reasons why he doesn't agree with polygamy, and we're going to see one of those problems here. But let me tell you one more thing before we get to the text. Three times throughout the year, if you were a man that lived in Israel— uh, you had to make a, a journey. You had to go three times throughout the year to these different festivals. There were three different festivals. There was a festival of the unleavened bread. There was a festival of uh, shelters. And there was a festival of the harvest. So three times throughout the year, they would make these journeys. They would, a lot of times, they would bring their whole family with them and go on this trek, go on this journey with their whole family to this festival, to this town called Shiloh. 
And Shiloh is where um, the, the tabernacle was located and the Ark of the Covenant was located. So this was a, a very special thing. It was required of all, Isra- uh, all men who were Israelites at this time. And so where this story takes place, that's all the background for you, is, is this man named Elkanah is taking his wives and their children along the way on the journey. And, and I will say this before we get to it, is Elkanah back then could have easily dismissed Hannah. Not being able to have children was considered um, uh, that there was something wrong with her, that she was looked down upon in society. And so he could have easily said, you know what, I no longer want you to be my wife because my plan was more wives, more kids. You're not helping out with my plan here. But, but he could have easily done that, but he didn't. He treated her just as well as he treated Penina. Again, not that polygamy is good, but in, in that case, he, he was fair to the two wives. And so we're going we're gonna to pick it up in verse 6, in 1 Samuel chapter 1. The first word is her, but we're talking about Hannah. Hannah's rival, however, would, be provo- uh, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And it happened year after year, as often she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better t- to you than ten sons? Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the infliction of thy maidservant and remember me and not forget thy maidservant, but will give thy maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And a razor shall never come, never come on his head. Verse 12. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Verse 19. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with, his, with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the Lord remained and nursed her son, uh, sorry, so the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with, with a three-year-old bull and, once, uh, and one epaph of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to, 
to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here before you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I have asked of him. And so I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Now do me a favor, keep that open. We'll come back. We're actually going to read a little bit more a little bit later on. But don't you love this story? Did you follow this? This is amazing. Here's this woman that just is completely uh, distressed. And, and, and she comes before God and, and says, please, she's just begging. And, and as I looked through this story and as I've read over and over and over again the past few weeks, there were three points that I kind of gleaned from this that I thought we can still share today. So if you're following along on the notes and you want to fill it in. The first point is this, uh, the, the authenticity of Hannah. The authenticity of Hannah. Hannah is this woman who is completely authentic. I, I think a lot of times... We, we think of these heroes of the Bible as, oh, they didn't experience anything that we experienced. They, they didn't go through, they don't know what I'm going through in 2013. But, but the truth of the matter is, they were human beings. They breathed like we breathe. They experienced joy at the birth of a child. They experienced sorrow when their friends passed away. They, they experienced anger. They experienced jealousy. They were human. They experienced real human emotion. And so sometimes we think, well, there's no way that this person really endured this, this, and this. But here's Hannah, and she's being mocked. And I love, I just love the genuineness of Hannah here in this story. It doesn't say, and that did not affect Hannah whatsoever. And she went on. No, it says she was torn up. I mean, verses, verse 7 and 8 there, and she's crying. She, she, she feels terrible because of what Penina, the other wife, has said to her, she's going, God, please. It's so interesting. She doesn't try to hide her blemishes. I love that about the Bible. There's so many people in the Bible that they don't hide their blemishes. They don't pretend to be these perfect people. Look at, we've been studying Colossians. Look at Paul, or Galatians. We look at Paul. My goodness, Paul gives the whole laundry list of, here's what I did. I persecuted the church. I killed thousands of people. I wanted to stop this movement. I hated Jesus. Wow, wouldn't that be something you'd like put on the bottom of the resume or in the fine print? But no, he says, here's what I did, and yet God saw me through it. God saw me through this, and God changed me. Only because of God did I change. And I love how authentic Hannah is here. I think... There's something to be said for us. Imagine if, as a church, we were that authentic. One of the biggest criticisms of people that don't attend church or non-Christians, they say, oh, you're all fake. You're all fake. And, and I think, you know what, in some ways, there's somewhat some truth to that for, for some people because, you know, pastor says all the time, our worship service here is not meant to be a museum for saints. It's meant to be a hospital for the broken, for the sinners like me. And like you, it's not meant to be this, hey, we've got it all together. Let's show everybody how together we are. But rather, it should be this time where we go, oh, I had the worst week. I, I got cursed out. I'm struggling with this. I did this. I did this. Can you pray for me? Our growth groups that we've set up, that's the intention of our growth groups, or one of the main intentions, is that we're, we're authentic with each other. And we're able to say, I need you to pray for me. I'm really struggling with this. And not for people to go, what? You are? But rather people say, 
guess what? I'm struggling with the same thing. I'll pray for you. I want you to lift me up. And let me encourage you with some biblical verses that, that they'll come along and encourage you and come, come alongside you and help you walk through this. I love how authentic Hannah is. The second point that, that I want to bring up is the prayer of Hannah. Look how, look how desperate Hannah is when she prays here. She, she's not praying, uh, you know, just as simple like, hey, God, thank you for the beautiful weather today. She, she's praying and pleading and desperate, saying, God, I need you. I, I know I can't do this on my own. I want a child so badly, but Lord, if it's your will, please. And so, so here's Hannah just pouring out her, her prayer life, but right before us, to God, it's just beautiful to me to, to see how desperate she is. She prays fervently. She prays faithfully. She prays just with the intent that she knows her creator. And she knows the God who created her, the one that knows how many hairs are in our heads, the innermost thoughts of us even sitting here right now. That God is the one that is on her side. And, and, and it's interesting because as she's praying, did you catch this, this part about Eli? Eli's the priest. And Eli's watching her, and, and I can almost picture a scene. She's praying, and back then it was customary to pray out loud. And so you would pray, and you would say, you know, you would make your prayer out loud. Everyone could hear you. But, but the, way, uh, the way Hannah was praying was she was down on her knees, and she's praying quietly. She's kind of mumbling, and, and she, she's just opening up herself before the Lord. And, and Eli thinks she's drunk. Eli goes, are you crazy? What are you, what are you doing? This is actually, believe it or not, this is a, in some cultures today, some people still only pray out loud. They, they believe that, uh, you know, you, you need to be stating your prayers out loud. But, but she says, no, Lord, I, I'm not drunk. Uh, no, Eli, I'm not drunk. I'm pouring out my heart before my Lord. Sound familiar, right? Remember Jesus, deep in prayer in the New Testament. He said, and people said, what, are, are you crazy? What, what are you doing? And Hannah didn't care what the people around her thought. She said, oh, I'm, I'm praying. And then, and then she comes back after, after Samuel's born, and she goes, do you remember me? You, you thought I was drunk. I'm the, guy, I'm the one that was praying. And God answered my prayer. I love the prayer of Hannah. And, and I'm wondering for us, what are our prayer lives like? And myself, I think it's healthy to take an examination once in a while and examine your own prayer life. Are, are we just offering up these five-cent prayers? God, thank you for mothers today, and thank you for the beautiful day. Amen. Or, and, and that's not bad, but is that the extent of our prayer life? Is that it? Are we literally praying for 10 seconds a day, and then that's it? Because if it is, that's, that's affecting our communication with him. Uh, uh, you know, uh, some people that struggle with, with their prayer lives, I'd encourage you, look at David. Open up the book of Psalms. If this is something, if you're sitting here going, yeah, this is something I, I struggle with, open up to the book of Psalms. Read through some of the Psalms that David wrote. Some of them are, are crying out, God, you are incredible. You've created the mountains. You can part the seas. You can do everything. Others of them are going, God, where are you? I, I, I mean, I know you're here, God, but... Ah, God. And I love that. I, I love, the once again, the genuineness, the authentic quality that David has. I'd encourage you, start praying through the Psalms on a daily basis. And, and, and I, I love, as he's proclaiming some of these things throughout the book of Psalms, he's acknowledging that 
you are the God of the universe. You created, you know every single billion person. That doesn't make sense. Each, each person, there's billions of people here on earth right now. You know each of our innermost thoughts. You know every detail about our lives. And I get to talk to you? Are you kidding me? This is incredible. Sometimes I've had adults over the years, and teenagers especially, say to me, Tim, I feel so guilty. I, I accepted Jesus to be my Savior. I'm following him, but my prayer life is terrible. I don't know if I'm a Christian. And so let me just clarify this before we move on. Once you've accepted Christ and, and you've put your faith and trust in him, your union with him is inseparable. You cannot be broken. I, I love that song we sing, uh, uh, your love never fails. The first few words, nothing can separate even if I run away, your love never fails. It never gives up. It cannot be broken. But our communion with Christ is definitely affected. Our communion with Christ, our time with him, is easily affected if we're not, not only praying, but listening as well. We, we do a good job of talking, right? I'm up here rapping away. Right, we do a good job of talking. How hard is it, though, to sometimes be quiet and say, God, what do you have what, what are you trying to speak to me? Let me be silent before your word. Let me see what you're trying to speak into my life at this moment. And, and so I, I just think it's so important, the, the idea of, of prayer being critical to our life. There's a, a, a Gallup study done, you know, you know, the polling organization, whatever. They did this study that just blows my mind. You can look it up. Don't look it up on your phones now. Look it up when you get home. Uh, I didn't believe it either at first. But here, here's what it says. The divorce rate in the United States is one out of every two. 50% of people in the, the country get divorced. That's shocking. Well, maybe it's not so shocking. You've probably heard that statistic before. But here's the part that will blow your mind. Ready for this? So one out of two for, for just the average Americans. The divorce rate for couples who pray together on a daily basis is one out of every 10,000. The divorce rate for couples who pray together on a daily basis is one out of every 10,000. One to two, one to 10,000. It's mind-blowing. And, and the, the study goes on to state all these reasons why. But I'll tell you why. You don't even need to read the study. I'll tell you why. Because when you're praying with your spouse, you're recognizing that it's not about this. It's not just lateral. You're focusing on the fact that you cannot do it without God. You're depending on him. You're growing closer together. You're focused on the Savior and not on yourself. Hannah, Hannah says, I can't do it, God. I can't have a child, but I know the one who can. And she, she says, I'm going to put my faith and trust in the one who can. If you want to keep your finger there for a second or put a bookmark, flip over to James chapter 5 for a minute. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 13. It's on page 1438 if you have the, the Pew Bible. James chapter 5, verses 13 through uh, 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. 
and if he has committed sins, they will be forgi- uh, sorry, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Guys, don't take my word for it. Don't say, well, Tim, Tim said, or Pastor said, or I read about it in some book. Here it is. It's in God's holy word saying prayer impacts our lives. Because when we're praying, we're realizing the one who is in control. And I'll give you a hint. It's not me, and it's not you. It's him. The final point I, I want to look at is the thankfulness of Hannah. If you're filling in the, the, um, the outline, the final point is the thankfulness of Hannah. If you want to flip back to uh, where we were before, 1 Samuel, we're going to start at chapter 2 now. 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's on page 332, just over one. Here's Hannah's prayer. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides thee. Nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of, of the mighty are shattered, and the feeble gird on, the stre- on strength. Those who, were f- those who fully hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings to, to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord shall be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king, and will exalt the horn of his exalted. Then Elkanah went to his home at Ramah, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. I love this prayer. I don't know if you noticed when Keith was reading before the the responsive reading that we did, uh, that was called Mary's Prayer. And Mary actually based her prayer off of this prayer, off off of Hannah's prayer. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. And it's a prayer. If you read through that, and if you have time later on, you will read through it again. The one thing that you can clearly identify about that prayer is she knew the one she was speaking to. She knew God. You know, it wasn't like a casual, like, uh, hi, remember? You know, it, it was someone that she deeply knew and loved. And, and I love this. You know, I, I'm not sure if you fully understood what's happened here, but she had prayed for years and years and years to have a child. Finally, she has her son, Samuel. And, and she says, God, I promised if I had this child, I would give him back to you. Here he is. I don't know if it were me. I'll be honest with you. My prayer might be something like this. Oh, God, you gave me the child. I didn't realize he'd be this cute. I didn't know I'd love him so much. Can we work out in every other weekend type deal? Or like, you know, I, I don't know if I'd be as willing to just say, all right, God, I made this promise. Here he is. He's yours. 
I'm giving him back to you. He's yours, literally. Like, go. I'm leaving him with Eli the priest. And it's amazing because, because she does this, if you keep reading in, in First Samuel, Samuel goes on to become one of the greatest uh, judges of all time. But there required some sacrifice. And one of the reasons I think she made the sacrifice is because she had something I call eternal vision. She had vision of eternality. And, and I use this analogy or this visual example, I've used this with youth groups over the years, is this idea of rope. And we're just going to pretend that this rope goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. I know it ends over there, but just go with me on this. Uh, and, and so we're going to use this white rope. I've got to let it out a little bit more. Uh, we're going to let this right, uh, use this white rope as, a, as a, uh, just symbolic of a timeline of your existence. So this white rope, again, we'll just pretend it keeps going, is your existence. Here, and pretend it keeps going on and on and on. And this little green part is your time here on earth. So this little part here, your time on earth, and then your, your existence forever and ever and ever. And, and it blows me away how so many people, Christians and non-Christians, get so consumed with this green part. They go, um, you know, look, I want to save money here, here, and here, here, so I can be comfortable right there. Or I'm really mad here because of something that happened here. And they get so consumed with the green part. They get so consumed with this life, and they forget about all of this. They forget about the whole rest, that we're going to be living millions and millions of years from now. And, and, And here's the thing that's interesting, is what happens in this tiny little green part, though, determines your existence. So what happens during this time, during the short time here on earth, whether, it's, whether you're here for 30 years, 40 years, 80 years, 90 years, whatever it is, determines the millions and millions of years, eternity, and where you'll be spending it. And so some people say, Tim, you're crazy. Or, or Christians, you're, you're crazy. Why would you give up your, your money for the church? Why would you give up your time for the church? Why would, you, why would you care about impacting others? That doesn't make you comfortable. And to them, I would say, you're crazy. Why, why would you just want to be comfortable? If, 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 if this is just such a small portion of this, why would you care about comfort when eternal existences are at stake here? You see, Hannah got it. The, the comfortable thing would be to keep her child, obviously, right? Hey, we'll, we'll have a nice house. We'll, you know, we'll get an in-ground pool. We'll have it. This will be great. But no. She says, I'm giving my child up. I'm giving him back because I realize of what he will effect for eternity. And sadly, I think so many people worry so much about this part that they, they, they get so consumed with it that they go, Mm, I'd just rather be comfortable. I'd just rather hoard and get more money and a bigger house and a bigger car and a better job, and I'm going to forget about all this. I love the Apostle Paul. He says, I am going to run this race to the finish line, and I'm going to give it all I have. I don't care if you mock me. I don't care if you kill me. I don't care what you do to me because I've got all this I've got all of eternity, and I know where I'm going. I know I'm going to be home with my king. This is so important. But if our only goal in this is comfort or security or or getting more and more and more, we're missing a major point. Hannah got it. 
Paul got, so many people in the Bible got it. it, it it's mind-blowing, but there's actually, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, there's, there's missionaries today in 2013 coming from other countries to here, to the United States. There's missionaries coming from China, from Japan, all, all over the world to here because they worry about us as Americans. I think two areas they worry about. One, I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of churches, a lot, not all, but a lot of churches in the United States have gotten it wrong. A lot of churches have become consumer-driven, and, and they want to be entertained. And the, the people, I, I use this analogy. I used this with the youth group kids a few weeks ago. It's the analogy of, uh, of a coach getting a group of uh, basketball players together, and he said, all right, guys, we're going to go out there. We're going to rebound. We are going to block shots. We are gonna, we're going to protect the ball. And everybody goes, all right, ready, team on three. One, two, three, team. And then they all go, and they sit down on the bench. And the coach is like, uh, what are you guys doing? And, and they turn to each other and go, I didn't like what the coach was wearing today. You believe that? I, did, did you hear? He's, I didn't really like his tone when he told us to cheer. It seemed a little offensive. And, and, and uh, unfortunately, I think that's what's happened with a lot of churches around the United States, is people come to church and pastors get up and they give a sermon that says, go, make disciples, go, live a life that's radical, give, give, give of yourself, give of your time, give of your money, and people go, yeah, 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 and then they walk out that front door and they go, what, 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 what do he say? Or they walk out the door and they go, I cannot believe how fast we sung that song, Our God is Greater. That was way too fast this morning, way too fast. And he did it in the key of A. That's way below my vocal range. Or they go, the pastor did not even tell one funny joke today. I, you know, I, I feel like he could have thrown it. And we become critiquers. And, and we, rather than walking out the door and going, oh, how great is our God. He is incredible. We walk out critiquing man. And we walk out going, eh, I would have liked it better if Tim would have stopped the sermon five minutes ago. I would have liked it better if this or that or that. Rather than going, oh, I can't wait to go make disciples. I can't believe what Jesus has done for me, how God has changed my life. The other area I think that, that we struggle in is just individually, not just the church as a whole, but individually as Christians. I, I think a lot of us view this time from 11 to 12.30 or 11 to 12.15 or whatever, as worship. This is our time of worship. And a lot of people have viewed worship as, I went to soccer practice, I went to piano lessons, I went to worship. Check, check, check. Good, I'm, I'm good for the week. But that's, when, when I read this book, when I read about Hannah, when I read about Paul, when I read about so many people in this book, that's not what I see. Uh, imagine Paul going, all right, uh, so I was busy this week. I had, I had church from 11 to 12. I was like, no, his life is worship. Worship is his lifestyle. Light, worship is Hannah's lifestyle. It's not a thing. Like, it, it's almost crazy that I sit here at the piano and I say, welcome to worship. It would be, my, it would be like if I said to you guys, uh, guys, it's 11 o'clock, start breathing. You'd be like, what? I've been breathing all week long. No, I just want to remind you, start breathing right now. It's 11 o'clock, it's breathing. No, worship is something that's been done all week long in theory. And so that when we come to this time of, of, of celebration together, it's just an, it's like, of course I'm going to worship. Of course. But you don't need to welcome me. I've been worshiping all week long. Of course, this is a natural progression. This is my next step. This is, what I, this is the, the next thing 
for my life because I've been worshiping. I've been sacrificing all week long. See, I think when we get to the point where we recognize that this little part matters so much, but we throw away so, so many insecurities, that's when we're able to go, oh, God, I'm yours. I am yours. I want to share with you just very briefly a, a story that will touch a lot of you. Gene Condi, most of you know Gene. He's an older member of our congregation. He's usually back there greeting you guys at the door, and he's in the hospital this week, and and continue to pray for him. But I called him up earlier in the week. Well, I, I went to the hospital on Friday, but I called him earlier. And I said, Gene, how are you doing? And, and he said, I'm okay. I said, what do you need? Do you need anything? And he said, I, I actually do need something. So I'm thinking he's going to say, bring me a book or a crossword puzzle or something like that. Yeah, whatever. And, and so he said, I need you to bring me some welcome packets from the, from the welcome center of our church. I've got two nurses that, that have been helping me, and I just feel like they're ready. I just feel like they're ready, and I want to share the gospel with them, and I want to tell them about our church. I need you to bring these welcome packets up here. And, and here's Gene, and then he goes on to tell me that he grabs one of the nurse's hands and starts singing Jesus Loves Me with this nurse. Mind-blowing? Ah. And so I go to visit him on Friday, and there he is. He's laying there. He's got tubes up his nose and this huge smile on his face, not because I'm there, but because I brought him these welcome packets. Like, he's so excited about these, these crazy packets. I mean, they're very nice, but, but these, these packets. He just wants to, to share Christ. Here is this man laying in a hospital bed that gets it. He gave up his life for Christ. He surrendered his life years ago. But it wasn't a one-time decision. His walk, his worship is not about comfort. My goodness, the man's laying in a hospital bed. But here he is, not thinking about himself, but thinking about how he can further eternity, how he can affect eternity. I love it. Like, and that wasn't even going to be part of my message. It just happened on Friday, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a perfect example of someone who understands what it means to sacrifice, what it means to be a man of prayer. Today's Mother's Day. If you know a mother or or a woman that models these attributes, I just want to encourage you, flock towards those women. Learn what it is that they do. What what is their prayer life like? What are they they reading through on a daily basis? Uh, You know, again, these women aren't aren't perfect. We're we're all flawed people. Same thing, men. Look for models. Look Look for people. But the ultimate model is Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate model. If you're like, I don't have time to be looking for people, well, then open up that book because there's the ultimate model. On the bottom of your sermon notes, I want you to take them out if you haven't yet. I have something down there called a personal challenge. On the personal challenge, I, we're, we're wrapping up, so stick with me. But the personal challenge, I, I want to um, challenge you guys that as we walk out of here, we all, myself included, struggle with this. This isn't an easy message for me to give because even as I'm saying some of these, I'm like, uh, hello, yeah, are, are, are you doing all these things? It, it's a struggle. It's a daily struggle. But I want to I just give you, we'll, we'll keep it quiet for 30 seconds or 45 seconds, whatever, just a chance to write down something that you feel in your life has is, is been hard to give, give up. In, in this case, for, for Hannah, she had to give up her child. She gave up a child. Most of you have probably never had to give up a child. But, but maybe for, for you, it's your time 
in just investing in people? When's the last time you sat down with someone and said, I've got to share the gospel with you. I need to. I'm, I'm sick of saying I'm too busy. Maybe it's your money. Maybe you're going, hey, I, I earned that. I work hard for that. Well, didn't he provide you with the job? Maybe, maybe it's your friendships. Maybe it's your relationships. What is it that's holding you back? And so I literally want you to write, if you have a pencil in front of you, just take, let's take about 30 seconds and just write for your life, what is it that you feel like you need to surrender in order to further the gospel? Take this home with you today. Post this in a spot that's visible for you. Now, if you're hearing me say, try harder, you've, you've missed the point. If you're thinking, man, I've got to try harder. I've got, I've got to do a better job. I, I can do better. I can do better. You've missed the point. Because the gospel, folks, is saying, I can't try hard enough. I simply surrender. I can't do it, but I know the one who can. That's what the gospel says. And so when we're finally at that point, we're able to surrender and say, God, my prayer life, I I need you. I need you. I'm not going to just try harder. It's not going to work. I need you. When we're able to reach that point of surrender, that's when a change happens. That's when Hannah changed. She finally called out and said, God, I need you. She's a woman of prayer. She's a woman who knows who recognizes her, her eternal life, uh, uh, her, her life here on earth will affect eternity, and she's a woman who's authentic. I challenge you. That is what God wants of us at New Village and individually, an authentic church, a praying church, and a church that is thankful and recognizing the impact we can have on eternity. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this reminder. Lord God, I thank you for Hannah's words. God, that you don't call us to a life of comfort. You don't call us to a life of security or a life of wealth. If anything, your gospel tells us the exact opposite will be the case, that we'll be persecuted, that we'll often um, be mocked for our faith and go through trials. But Lord, I pray that our response is similar to that of Hannah's, Lord, that uh, just as she was mocked by Penina, and mocked, I'm sure, by countless others, Lord, that she cried out to her God and said, I can't do anything about this, but I know the one who can. And so, Father, that's our prayer this morning, that we would surrender our lives to you. God, that we would examine our prayer lives and our, our, our walking, our everyday lives, our, our lives of worship, God, that they would be surrendered to you and full of your mercy and your grace, God. And that we would go out of these doors, Lord, and not sit on the bench, but go and make disciples. God, we know it's not easy, but we thank you for your promise that the Holy Spirit is with us, 
each and every step of the way. Father, we love you and we worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand.